Scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. I'll be reading from the King James. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a high hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I'm tired this morning, but it's a good tired. Um, spent the week this past week with our young people at Camp Bandina and really, really, really enjoyed the experience. Those of you who are parents who had kids that went to camp, I want you to know your young people behaved exceptionally well. They were thoughtful, they were kind, they served other people, they volunteered for things that they didn't have to do, and they did all of that with such a sweet and a wonderful spirit. It's, it's admirable, and it says something about the kind of parents and the kind of upbringing that you're giving them. So thank you so much for your influence in their lives, and thank you for the way that they handle themselves when they're not around their parents. I also want to make mention this morning, as we talk about Camp Bandina, of two men in our congregation that certainly don't get enough recognition. Corey LaBeouf and Kevin Kane. There are deacons that are responsible for our youth from junior high to high school. And both of these men, they work tirelessly. And, and I use that word intentionally, tirelessly, to bless our young people. They've influenced and had an impact on so many lives over the years that they've been doing what they're doing. And you need to pat them on the back and give them a hug around the neck and thank them for what they do. Think about it. They take their vacation time from their real jobs. Well, Corey doesn't have a real job, but Kevin does. <laughs> Corey's job is fishing. I mean, as far as I can tell anyway. But they do take time off from their real jobs to go and to be in cabins with sweaty eighth graders, you know, that, that you know, don't go to sleep at night and things like that. And they do it because they love the Lord, because they love kids and because they want them to go to heaven one day. So please, please um, tell them how much you appreciate what they do. Um, yeah, we had an incident last Sunday on the way to camp. The bus ran in the ditch. I'll just say this. Our, our bus driver was well-intentioned, but he made a series of bad decisions. Um, you know, sometimes we do that in our lives, don't we? We make one wrong turn, and then we try to fix it by making another wrong turn, and one thing adds to another, adds to another, and before long, your life just kind of gets off the path and into a ditch. And I thought about that last Sunday as we were standing in the sun for four hours waiting on the tow trucks. And I also thought about this. There was a preacher a long time ago that said that repentance, really, at its core, repentance is just backing up. Repentance is just the husband in the car with his wife sitting beside him who finally humbles himself and says, I've made a wrong turn. I'm going to have to put the car in reverse, and I'm going to have to back up. And I'm going to have to go a different direction. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs to repent. You've been making wrong turns in your life and you're making bad decisions in your life. The very best thing you could ever do with your life is to listen to God and to stop what you're doing and to back up and go a different direction. 
that would have saved an awful lot of time and heartache last Sunday. And it'll change your future and your destiny if you'll do it with your life. All right. By the way, Camp Bandina was a tremendous blessing. I can't think of another work that we do as a congregation where young people, especially many young people who don't have a background in the Lord's church, maybe don't come to church at all. They're able to come and to be around New Testament Christians for a week. But not only that, they get a lot of Bible teaching in the week that they're there. I mean a lot. More Bible teaching in one week at Camp Bandina than they would get almost in half a year of just attending Bible classes and worship services at a congregation somewhere. And so I'm thankful for that work and I'm thankful for what it accomplishes along those lines. All right, let's talk about our lesson this morning. Thank you for tolerating me saying all those things. We need to think like fishermen and maybe more than ever before in the Lord's church, it's time for us to think like fishermen. Because Jesus called us to be fishers of men, Mark chapter 1, verse 17. And if we really admit it, and if we're really honest with ourselves, we're probably not catching as many fish, we're not catching as many people as we could. I want to begin by reading a parable, a parable that was written by a man, but it, it's applicable to many places today. Think about this. There was once a group called the Fisherman's Fellowship. They were surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish, and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested, after a while, that the Fisherman's Fellowship needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined it, and then they redefined it. And then they talked about the purpose of fishing. And they developed fishing strategies and fishing tactics and then they realized, after all that, that they'd been actually going at it backwards. They had approached fishing from the point of view of fishermen and not the point of view of the fish themselves. How do fish view the world? How does the fisherman appear to the fish? What do fish eat and when do they eat? And really, these are all good things to know. So they began extensive research studies, the Fisherman's Fellowship did, and they began to have conferences Locally and nationally and even internationally, they had conferences to talk about fishing. They traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish that had different habits. Some were awarded PhDs in fishology, but no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen. A prospective, uh, as prospective fishing places outnumbered fishermen, the society decided that what they needed was another committee. And a committee was formed to determine priorities. A priority list of fishing places was posted on bulletin boards and in all of the fishing fellowship halls, but still no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most didn't answer the survey, but the ones who did, they, they offered that they didn't be believe that fishing was their number one priority. It was something that others were more skilled in. They thought that their, their, their needs were better served or their, their service was better about furnishing fishing equipment and going around and encouraging the, those who were actually doing the fishing. And with meetings and conferences and seminars, many said they just didn't have time to fish. There was a young man named Jake who became a member of the Fisherman's Society. 
and as a newcomer, he went to the meetings and he got really excited about fishing. And so he decided to take his pole and go down to the lake and fish. And you know what Jake did? He caught a really big one. And he brought it back, and this really big fish was the envy and the awe of the fisherman's fellowship. As a matter of fact, the Bible, uh, excuse me, as a matter of fact, uh, Jake uh, at his next meeting was asked to tell his story. And he was honored for catching this fish. And he was told that he had a special gift of fishing and that he was, he was doing an excellent job. And next what they did was they scheduled Jake to speak at all the different meetings of the Fisherman's Fellowship and in many different places and tell how he did it. And so soon Jake had speaking invitations and he was promoted to leadership within the Fisherman's Fellowship, so much so that Jake no longer had time to go fishing himself. Jake soon began to feel restless and empty and he longed to feel the tug on his line once again. So what Jake did was that he stopped the speaking appointments and he scaled back all of his administrative assignments in the Fisherman's Fellowship and he said to one of his friends, let's go fishing. And the two of them did and they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful but the fishers were few. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verses 13 through 16. Jesus tells us that we are supposed to be fishers of men, and then he tells us how to do it. He didn't just say, go catch fish. He told us how to do it. And the way that we do it is by thinking rightly about our influence. And especially by thinking rightly about the words influence. I want to help us to think like fishermen this morning. I want us to think like people who are ready to go and to find souls to study with. To share God's word with. In Matthew 5 beginning in verse 13 Jesus says to his disciples. He says you. You are the salt of the earth. Not somebody else. Not the guy down the pew from you. You are the salt of the earth he says. But here's a problem. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? For nothing, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. In this passage... There are three components of making an impact on another's life for eternity. Three components of how to go about making an impact on somebody else's life for eternity. And all three are necessary. If you're not listening to anything else I'm saying this morning, listen to this. All three are absolutely essential or you will not be a successful fisher of men. You can't just take one of these. And what we do in the church, what we do all of us, it's a tempting thing is we take one of these components and we say, I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on this element. And we miss the other two. Or maybe we take two of them and we miss the other one. There must be a balance of each of the three points in this morning's lesson. If we don't balance these things, we'll never make much of a difference. And we certainly won't be successful in being fishers of men. With that said, let me talk about each component in its turn. Number one. If you're going to make an impact in people's lives, if you're going to make a difference as a disciple for the sake of Jesus Christ, right living is essential. 
Right living is absolutely essential. Jesus says, you are salt, you are light, you're different. And people know and they can see the difference that a disciple makes when we live the way a disciple should live. What's involved in our lives is that we must be people who are about good works. We must, as the people of God, focus on the scriptures and how they tell us that pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father, our God and Father, it's not just how we worship, as important as worship is. And it's not just about how the church is organized, as important as that is. But it's about how we live our lives. And James 1.27 says this, pure religion, undefiled religion, is visiting the widows and orphans in their distress. And pure and undefiled religion is keeping oneself pure, unspotted from the world. It's about the way I live my life. Jesus says you're going to be different because you belong to me. And a lot of Christians are not very much different from the people around them. And we are not going to have an impact on those around us. We're not going to be good fishers of men if we're not all about good works. We're just not. Ephesians 2 verse 10. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. He saved us for that reason. But right living is not just about doing good. We can do good works. There are a lot of people in the world that do good works. Think about this. As you read the passage that Jesus talks about being the salt and the light of the world, there's a sense of purpose to what we're doing. I'm not just doing good works because I'm a nice guy. We're not just doing it because we think that, you know, the world needs to be blessed with kindness. It does. But there's a purpose underlying all this, and the purpose is that we are children of God. Galatians 4, verses 6 and 7. God has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has brought us into his family, and we act like the family of God ought to act. When we go out into the world, right living is just what we do because we know whose kids we are. I know those of you who are parents, you worry about your kids. I do. When your kids are out of your sight, when they're with other adults, when they're with other people, I wonder what my kids are doing. I hope they remember whose kids they are. You and I have the responsibility to remember whose kids we are. We are God's children, and we represent him to those around us. Right living, a sense of purpose. And not only that, personal sacrifice is involved. I want you to think for just a moment about the parable of the Good Samaritan. A priest and a Levite pass by the man who is beaten and bloodied on the side of the road. They pass by. They had better things to do, the Bible says. But the Samaritan stopped. And it wasn't just remarkable that he stopped. It was remarkable what he gave up so that he could do good to this man that had been beaten and left for dead. In Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. The good Samaritan bound up the man's wounds and placed him on his own animal and brought him into the next town and took him to the inn and paid the innkeeper and said, take care of this man and whatever you have to spend on him when I come back, I will, I will settle that debt. What made a difference is not just the fact that the Samaritan helped. It was the fact that the Samaritan helped sacrificially. You want to make an impact in somebody's life. You want to make a difference in the life of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You want to be a good fisherman. 
be all about good works because you are a child of the king and make sure that some of those good works are personally sacrificial. Your time, your energy, your resources, those things make a difference because the world understands that language. The world understands kindness. Kindness is a language that is universally understood. It is universally accepted. It is universally appreciated. Kindness, compassion, mercy, right living. Good fishermen, good fishers of men focus on how we're living our lives. Is there a difference The people that you work with, do they see a difference in you? The people you go to school with, do they see that there's a difference? Our kindness and compassion and right living, what you're all about? You're not going to be an effective fisherman if that's not true. Second, what's absolutely essential if we're going to be good fishermen is this. There must be close proximity. Look again at Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. As long as the salt stays in the salt shaker, it's not doing my food any good. It must be poured out. It must come into contact with the food to have an effect, to make a difference. Not only that, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Light must not be hidden. Hide it under a bushel? No. That's where that comes from. I'm going to let my light shine. It must not be hidden. A lot of us are full of of great truth and knowledge and understanding of God's will. We know, and and when it comes to living, we live right. We're we're all about good works. It doesn't mean we're perfect, and it doesn't mean we're trying, you know, we're, we're sinless, but we're trying to serve the Lord and to please Him. But we're not very good fishermen because we don't come into contact with people who need to be caught by the Lord. We don't come into contact with people who are lost. Close proximity is absolutely essential if we are going to make a difference for Jesus in the world around us. And it starts right here in the community in Katy. One of the things that's happening to our society very rapidly, it's been going on for a number of years. Our society is fracturing and fragmenting into little silos It's fracturing and fragmenting into little silos, cultural silos, if you want to call them that, politically, um, you know, aligned silos, whatever you want to call it. People are grouping together on the basis of all kinds of different things. And they're saying, I'm just going to be with the people who are like me. And the people who are not like me, they're going to go over here and they're going to be with people who are like them. And the people who uh, who aren't like them or like me, they're going to go over here to this other silo. And what happens is it's becoming increasingly difficult to have conversations with people who are in a different silo, who have a different worldview, a different framework than you and I do. It's tough. And if we're going to think like fishermen, if we're going to think like people who really want to win the world for Jesus, we're going to have to address that. And we're going to have to be intentional about that. There are greater differences between me and some of my neighbors who live in my neighborhood now than there would have been if I had lived in the same place I live 30 or 40 years ago. They're different in the way they think. They're different in the way they act. They're different in the assumptions they make. Greater differences. And because that's true, if we're going to be good fishermen, we're going to have to be prayerful about all this. And we're going to have to ask God for his help 
In Acts 4.29, after the disciples had been threatened by the Jews, they got together with the church and they prayed. They'd been threatened. A couple of the apostles had been arrested and then released. And the church got together and prayed and they said, oh God, this is so terrible. How could this happen to us? We're just trying to be nice and trying to serve others. Nope, that's not what they said. They actually said, God, we just suffered for preaching the gospel and we want you to give us boldness so that we can keep right on preaching and teaching and talking to people who need to know about the gospel. That's what the church prayed for. That's what people today need to pray for as well. Prayerfulness. God, lead me into relationships and circumstances where I can have conversations about your word with people who are different from me. I picked up a book not long ago that's got an intriguing title. The title is, I'd Like You Better If You Were More Like Me. Isn't that an intriguing title? But it's true, isn't it? I'd like you a lot better if you were more like me. Well, guess what? A lot of people aren't like us and they're never going to be like us, but they still need to know God's word. And fishermen, fishers of men think that way. They still need to know God's word. And I'm going to be prayerful about that. Not only that, we need to be intentional. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was what Jesus said in Luke 19 verse 10. You remember who he said that to? Zacchaeus. How did Jesus get an audience with Zacchaeus? He was intentional. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. Jesus was walking down the street and Jesus stopped where he was and looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. Jesus was intentional about talking to people. You and I are going to need to be intentional in the days and the months and the years to come if we're going to be successful fishers of men, close proximity, there are people that you will never come into contact with in this community right down the street if we're not intentional about it. You'll never see them. You'll never talk to them. You'll never have an opportunity if you don't plan those things. Greater differences demand this as well. We're going to be uncomfortable. Discomfort is part of this equation. Jesus, in John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, went to Samaria. That was where the Samaritans lived. Jews did not go to Samaria in the days of Jesus. They went around Samaria. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And when Jesus sits down at the well, and that Samaritan woman comes and draws water, and Jesus starts asking her for a drink, she says in John 4, 7 and 8, she's like, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are talking to me, a Samaritan woman? This is really uncomfortable. She'd probably never had a conversation with a Jewish man in her life. Jewish men did not talk to Samaritan women. They were different. And it was uncomfortable to have that conversation. When we start talking about differences and people who are different than us, there is going to be, listen to me, there is going to be a degree and sometimes a high degree of discomfort. That is what those differences do to people. And the reason why everybody is siloing up and everybody's going to their own little community and their own little group and their own little cultural comfortable place, the reason why that's happening is because it's comfortable. That's what people do. But not fishers of men. 
Fishers of men aren't content to be comfortable in their own little silo. Fishers of men are looking at the people in the other silo over there and saying, I wonder, I pray, God, how can I make a difference in their lives? How can I bridge the gap between my silo and their silo so that I can win them to Christ so that I can reach them with the gospel? How do I do that? And we're wondering those things and we're praying about those things. That's what we're going to have to do, brothers and sisters, in the months and weeks and years to come. We have, it's where we are as a society. There's a degree of discomfort, but you will never, never, never save anybody if you don't get close to them. So, right living, being kind to people, that's great. Don't settle for that. you got to find ways to get in close proximity with people for the sake of bringing them to Christ. You have to. You cannot just get close to people without living right. But you can't live right without getting close to people either. Jesus said, you're the salt, you're the light. You must make a difference in other people's lives. With that said, one of the things we're going to try here at Katy this summer is a WEI campaign, World English Institute. Let me tell you what that's all about. It's about bridging the gap between the silo that I live in and the silo that somebody else lives in. There are people in our community who do not speak English at all. And they'd like the opportunity to learn. And what the WEI campaign does is it says to people over in a different silo, in a different culture, we have something that we'd like to offer you. And we're going to use the Bible. We're going to use God's word to help teach you English. And the good of the WEI campaign is this. Listen to me carefully. The good of it is this. There is an opportunity in doing this to reach out of my silo and to have a conversation and a relationship with somebody who I would never, never in my daily life have any communication or contact with otherwise. They don't even speak my language. That's the idea. And there are opportunities for you to get involved with that if you'd like. Talk to Justin Spear. Talk to Tom Barger. There are some folks that are going to be coordinating all this. You'll be hearing more about this as August approaches. It's going to be the first couple of weeks of August. There are other ways to get involved besides just being a teacher of someone. You say, I can't teach anybody English. That's fine. But you can help in a lot of other ways. Be listening for opportunities to do this. Because what this has to do with, listen again, it has to do with getting out of our silo and making relationships with people from a different silo. Being intentional about that. And if that's something that appeals to you, there's some great opportunities. But even if you have nothing to do with WEI, that's fine. You still need to be doing this in your own personal life. Because you have some relationships and people that you're close to that nobody else in this room will ever be able to talk to, ever. What are you going to do with that opportunity? You're going to be a good fisher of men. Right living is important. Close proximity is essential, but this third part, it is non-negotiable. Listen to me, non-negotiable. You must, you must give people a clear message. And that message, if you're making notes, must be from the Bible. There is no substitute. People will not be converted to Christ just because you were nice to them. 
They will not be converted to Christ just because you had a good relationship with them and because you bridged a gap between your silo and their silo. They're not going to be converted as good as those things are. They may wonder about Jesus. They may wonder about your convictions, but they will never obey the gospel until you get clear about the message that you're trying to convey. Never. The Bible is essential to people obeying the gospel. And if you're going to be a good fisherman, this is non-negotiable. We must speak to people about Christ and his cross. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 5 and 6. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. He's the one. Incidentally, I heard a great evangelist recently speak because Fisherman's Fellowship, you know, we, we, we have these seminars, right? Heard a great evangelist speak and he said something that really has stuck with me. He said, when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to share the message of the gospel, show, don't tell. Show them, open their Bibles or download the app on their phone and show them the verse, the passage that you're talking about and let them read it for themselves. Because if you just tell them, if that's all it ever is, I'm telling you about Jesus and I'm telling you about my relationship with him. If that's all you're ever doing, guess what? They don't have to reject Jesus. All they have to do is reject you. That's John that's telling me that. You know, John's got a lot of good things about him, but John's not perfect. And I've seen him do this and this. And, you know, I'm not sure he's got it right. But when you show somebody and you let them read it for themselves in their own Bible, this is the word of God. If they reject this... They know in their hearts and minds, they know implicitly, I'm not rejecting John, I'm rejecting what this says. Where does this come from? It's his word. It's part of having a clear message. We need to share with people the message about Christ and his cross. We need to believe in the power of God's word to save people, Romans 1.16. It is the gospel that saves people. Teaching people English is a good and a noble pursuit. It's a noble thing because what that aspect of it does is it helps us to bridge the gap between the silos. But the Bible is what's going to convert people. And the Bible is what has to get into our conversations. And the Bible is what has to be done and used in order for people to ever be converted. That is the essential element of being a good fisher of men. The power of God's word. People need to hear about the guilt of sin, how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. How we're separated by, by, uh, by our sins from God in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. People need to hear about and know about how God says that salvation is an urgent matter. Be saved, exhorting, persuading people. Be saved from this perverse generation, Acts 2, verses 40 and 41. People need to know about the urgency of obedience to the gospel. People need to hear about and know about the purpose of the church. Because again, what the church is, and I'm going to preach this over and over and over to you guys. The reason is because the Bible does. The world is full of little siloed people in their own little silos and their own little uh, own little cliques and groups and things. And what the church is, is the church is God's manifold wisdom where all these people can be brethren and family in God's family. That's what the church does. And people need to hear about the purpose of the church. The church shows God's wisdom in the world in that all these different people can come to Jesus, can obey the gospel, can be baptized for the remission of their sins, and can be just simply New Testament Christians. People need to hear that message. They need to see that being lived out in the life of the church. If we're going to be successful fishermen, 
We can never just take one or two of these components and say, well, that's probably enough. I mean, after all, Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, I'm doing good works and I'm even being sacrificial. I'm like the good Samaritan. So therefore, I must be a great evangelist. No, you're not. You're not a great evangelist until you start balancing all three of these areas. Right living, close proximity, clear message. Let's talk about the Bible. Let's open up the pages of Scripture. I want to show you what God has planned for you, what God asks you to do, and what God wants from every human being. Let's be prayerful as a church. Let's be intentional as a church about being better fishermen. Because if we don't, we're going to end up like the fishless fishermen society. We talk a lot about it. Not many fish are being caught. May that never be said of the people who worship God in Katy. If you're not a Christian this morning, more than anything else, Jesus wants you to obey the gospel. He wants you to listen to his word, to believe that it really is true, and to accept him, to accept the promises that he makes to you. Realizing that you're sinful and you need those sins to be forgiven, come to him and confess his name, repent of your sin, and be baptized. Baptism is how you're born into the family of God. It's how you put on Christ and it's how you are forgiven of your sin. It's how you're saved, 1 Peter 3, verse 21. And maybe you need to be baptized this morning or maybe you need to respond and you'd like to ask for prayers. Whatever you, want, whatever you need... Won't you come, make your way forward while together we stand and while we sing.